Are you curious about what it takes to build a group practice? Or maybe you're already a few practices in and you want to learn what you need to do to ensure your success. Make a point to join us in Fort Lauderdale on March 30th through April 1st for our pinnacle event called Scaling from Clinician to CEO. This event is built to bring you the in-depth educational resources to help you create success at this next phase of your journey. Click on the link in the show notes to learn more about the event itself and to see an overview of the agenda. We're limiting the event to 75 people and we expect it to sell out. So please register soon. We hope to see you in Fort Lauderdale on March 30th for Scaling from Clinician to CEO. Well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you are in the world and what time it is when you're tuning in. This is Perrin Desports, and I'm your host for the Group Practice Accelerator podcast from Polaris Healthcare Partners. If you're an entrepreneurial dentist or other healthcare provider, and you're interested in building a successful group practice, you found your primary resource for some of the industry's best business education. My partner, Dewalker Sinha, and I have decades of experience helping people just like you launch, scale, and ultimately exit successful group practices. In short, we create clarity, confidence, and results. Well, welcome everyone to season two, episode six of the Group Practice Accelerator podcast, one that we're calling, Should You Buy Real Estate? We get a lot of questions around using bank funds for real estate. There's some compelling reasons to do it and some things to think about, reasons maybe not to do it. To help me dissect all of that, I'm bringing the little man behind the big microphone. That's right, my partner, DeWalker Sinha, is gonna be joining me on the show today. It'll be fast and furious, sure to be a note-taking episode. So get your pad and pen ready and brew another cup of that wonderful meal of coffee. The Group Practice Accelerator podcast is on the air. Once again, thanks everybody for joining us on the show today. And as I teased in the introduction, DeWalker is joining me on the show and we are going to take apart real estate as a potential uh, component of investment, including uh, practice level ownership. DeWalker, you want to say hello to everybody? Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah. So when it comes to banking, there's uh, nobody in the industry that uh, has greater experience than DeWalker and better insight into the best way to use debt funds. And DeWalker, I, the, the clients I work with, be it in discovery days or consulting clients or, or even just the phone calls that I take, I feel like more and more of them nowadays uh, have questions around real estate and real estate ownership. Historically, many dentists, I don't want to say the majority, but I feel like a, a significant chunk of the dentist population uh, have been uh, told in times past that they should be their own landlord. Uh, real estate is a compelling investment vehicle, um, and there are a lot of tax advantages to it. Um, there are a lot of the reasons to be a real estate owner. But for those that are growing a group practice, this takes on a little bit of a different context. So why don't we take it from the top and and maybe you can give some guidance around uh, should someone be interested in buying the real estate? Yes or no. And and also, how does it impact lending overall? Yeah, so I'm at. 
I think uh, looking at real estate acquisition is probably more of a depends. Um, the, the answer is more like what is the strategy you're trying to do and what is the lending relationship that, that, uh, uh, that you have and how do they view uh, real estate transactions from the practice transaction? And what I mean by that is, uh, you know, some institutions will look at the overall relationship and say, you know, let's say you had, you know, five million dollars in practice debt and five million dollars in real estate debt. They would say we have a total lending exposure of ten million, and because of your lending exposure at ten million, you know, our um, financial reporting requirements are going to be audited financial statements, and here's the covenants where you need. To qualify for that, and some institutions will say, "Well, your total relationship with us is ten million, but on the practice exposure you're at five, and on the real estate exposure you're at five. Um, on the practice side, you know, once you get to ten million dollars, we're going to look for audited financial statements, or five million, we're going to look for audited financial statements. Different banks have different requirements, and and when you when you see that level of tone." That means the that bank is looking at the relationship differently than and is going to you know segregate your practice relationship and say okay we're going to underwrite it differently, and segregate your real estate relationship and say they're going to underwrite it differently, um, and depends on the institution. But typically, an institution that's you know separates quite a policy based on the asset type uh, will tend to be more favorable on an overall lending scenario. I don't say that's a rule of thumb. That's the, the idea would be that they're thinking bigger picture and separating assets and trying to understand what their exposure is. Um, so many of our clients do look at real estate as a wealth management strategy. Um, <clears throat> you know, a lot of people might be evaluating, should I lease my next dental office or should I acquire my next dental office? The, the short answer is if you're going to buy real estate, you know, in a location, buy the real estate that has the capacity to build the vision of your practice, which would be five or 10 years. Now, initially, that might be a significant debt burden because you may not be at your capacity where you're going to be in five years. So you're over-engineering or you know, over-buying for what you need today. But you're going to avoid you know, building a practice, spending the real estate cost, paying for the environmental appraisal, title insurance, bank origination fees, uh, which can typically last all those closing costs uh, can be anywhere at least at five thousand, closer to ten to fifteen thousand on the transaction. Um, so, if you're going to buy real estate, buy real estate that allows you to realize a full vision of that practice, which might be six or eight chairs. Um, the other aspect is, you know, what is the strategy you're going for? So, some of our clients want to build five, seven, ten, fifteen locations plus. And they want to own the real estate around it. They want to be that McDonald's concept, which is they want to be in the real estate business that happens to house uh, dental practices. And they're building successful dental practices. And one of their wealth management strategies is to uh, exit the, the the dental platform and have the investment platform, uh, you know, lease from our client. You know, that being said, on a lot of our deals on the M&A side. We also have some you know, buyers that will acquire the business, not only the dental practice, but also acquire it on the, with the real estate. And in their financial model or, or valuation, they will use the term called EBITDAR. 
Um, and that essentially is uh, earnings before interest taxes, depreciation, amortization, and rent. So what they're doing is they're adding the rent expense into the valuation, and they're going to essentially look at the relationship holistically of practice and real estate. So the, the short answer is it depends. Um, if you're with the traditional you know, uh, practice finance lenders, they're probably going to look at things in a more conservative model. And I, I, I never want to tell people no, but I think you need to kind of think through your real estate strategy before you start investing in the real estate. Um, not to say you shouldn't, you're just going to outgrow that, that traditional lending institution fairly quickly. Um, but if you've kind of had that conversation and they're segregating assets, and, and we do this on our capital sourcing side, you know, be able to, to see how the institutions are looking at the asset exposure. Um, yeah, if you can create a real estate wealth management strategy, great. Also look at the cost of lease expense you know, in lieu with the cost of uh, um, um, the mortgage expense. So, you know, if you're leasing a space and it's $5,000 and the rent expense, again, the mortgage expense is 4,000 plus you can have property taxes and probably have to have some extra cash reserves for maintenance and things like that. And you're going to be at 5,000, 5,500. Absolutely. <clears throat> Absolutely. Uh, you might be looking at a multi-unit real estate expense. If you do look at that, um, ideally, make sure the space you're occupying is more than 51% um, of the entire um, usable square foot, because then it's considered an owner-occupied property. Um, you'll have different lending rates, different uh, cash down requirements and owner-occupied versus just that if you're just at 49% or 48%, it's now considered an investment property, um, uh, all those things. So Hopefully I answered that question, Parent. I think the answer is more of it depends. I think people need to look at a lot of different rabbit holes in that process, um, make sure they understand their why. Uh, I think we've talked about it. Start with the end in mind, know your why, uh, and then understand their their lending relationship and see how that lending relationship will treat the real estate asset the same or different as a practice asset. Yeah, that's that's super helpful. And and I think the you know, one of the things we um, try to overcome or impress upon clients early on, especially when they're working with us in a consulting relationship, is that, you know, the, the mindset, the way you go about um, building a successful solo practice is dramatically different than the requirements, um, the demands, if you will, uh, in a group practice context. And real estate is yet another component of that it's a pretty straightforward equation and pretty straightforward answer in a solo context. If you have the ability to buy the building and, you know, um, it probably is going to make a, a lot of sense to do it um, for all the tax advantages and wealth planning that, um, uh, that, that you mentioned before, but in the group practice space, it, it takes on a, a completely different context and, and has some pluses and some minuses to it. Um, but there are a lot of other things to consider. Uh, the complexity of it is just a lot greater in a group practice context. So let's talk about um, maybe diving a little bit deeper into what you might call like bundling real estate and practice loans, loan structure, and even some context around the SBA itself. Because we see um, a lot of SBA lending, um, which can be the right solution, but can also maybe not be the best solution. 
Uh, and, and you see a good bit of that in the context of, of real estate as well. Do you want to slice and dice those for us? Uh, yes. Yeah, so, so traditionally, you know, you'll see institutions, um, you know, sometimes bundle practice loans with real estate loans. And what, what we mean by that is there's institutions that, let's say you were, you know, doing a de novo or moving a practice and let's say the building acquisition cost was a million dollars. The construction loan was, to, just to make it the leasehold improvements, was 500000 And the capital expenditure was, uh, for the, the equipment outfit, was 300000 And let's say you had an existing, you have an existing practice today um, and you have a $500,000 outstanding loan on the practice. And what the lending institution may do is they may propose, and uh, what there's not a, um, a, you know, any any other reason beyond the fact that I think they're trying to structure the best cash flow for you. And the best cash flow structure necessarily may not mean the best structure. Is they'll they'll come potentially and say, okay, Dr. Desports, you have a five hundred thousand dollars outstanding loan. Uh, you have a three hundred thousand dollars capital expenditure for a, you know uh, equipment. That's eight hundred thousand. And then on the building, you're at a million plus the 500 for leaseholds. And what they'll say is, you know, let us, uh, you know, put the the million five, the leasehold improvements and the building on the real estate, and let's leave the equipment and the current refinance loan outstanding at 800,000. And I think that's okay because that that then the institution is separating leasehold improvements uh, from the real estate. Um, and the reason I say that is because in the event, you know, you are going to have an exit in three or five or 10 years, you know, if the, the banking institution would have combined the equipment assets into the transaction or taken your entire lending relationship of $2.3 million, which is a million dollars plus the 500 for the leasehold improvements, plus the 500 in the current debt, plus the $300,000 in equipment. And if they were to put the entire $2.3 million and just structured as a real estate loan with a cross collateral of the practice to improve cash flow because they can now amortize the debt over uh, 20 years. Yes, although the cash flow significantly will improve for the client, and they might be trying to look at it and make sure, hey, you know, you can qualify for the loan, which now you start to argue, do they even have the right credit policy if they're having to structure a deal over 20 years on everything? Uh, but that's going to create. Um, you know, intercompany loans, due to's, due from's, meaning you essentially had a practice loan for 500,000, now it's held in the real estate entity. So now the, you know, these are all accounting P&L issues that end up happening within a business. So I would always discourage, you know, anybody that's going through a real estate process, buying a building uh, to, you know, transfer any practice assets, practice loans into a real estate company. The only thing that should be in the real estate company and a real estate loan is the uh, the acquisition cost uh, plus tenant improvements. And I could even make arguments about the tenant improvements in the practice side. Uh, there's different institutions that provide different capital structures if it's in the financing and the, and the uh, practice side. So I think again, on the uh, as if you're doing both transactions, understand where's you know how's the bank structuring the deal is, is going to be essential to structuring the de- structuring these deals correctly. That's uh, that's really good to know, um, and and I think uh, again, this is one of those 
aspects of beginning with the end in mind. And if you're a, you know, if, if you're going to build a group and you know you'd want to exit, um, meaning sell the practices, you'd rather not have um, uh, the the loans, you know, intermingled, so to speak, because that makes the the transaction piece problematic at, at the end of the journey um, for the primary reason that um, most uh, groups out there uh, do not want to be la- uh, landlords. They don't want to buy the, the real estate. There are a few who do, but that, that's the exception to the rule. So, you know, real estate, if it's the right thing for you, needs to be more of like a long-term mindset um, and it needs to be separate uh, from the practice level aspect. You know, the other thing that I'll I'll talk about real briefly um, that I think you kind of touched on and danced around in your first answer was, you know, the availability of capital. Like the, the bank's not an unlimited source. Um, they do have lending requirements um, uh, when you want to borrow more to, to do more with it. And it's important to look at your growth strategy in terms of the number of practices you're going to buy or build and the speed at which you're going to do that. So it's one thing to say, hey, I, I want to acquire the uh, the real estate when and wherever possible, and I'm only going to buy one practice a year maybe or build one practice a year. But it, on the other hand, if your growth strategy is two to three practices per year, and you're trying to bundle real estate with that, you know, that's that's going to be probably a little bit more problematic in terms of uh, accessing capital. So these are when DeWalker says it depends, it does depend on a lot of things. And these are really different aspects that you want to think through um, probably with an advisor to figure out what your primary drivers of building the business are. Um, it really does kind of come back to what do you want to build and, and why do you want to build it, which is something that DeWalker mentioned um, early on. Uh, do, do you want to spend any more time, DeWalker, around SBA itself um, while we're here and just kind of talk about the way the SBA operates and you know when it might be a, a solution and, and where it, it shouldn't be? Uh, yes. I mean, so I think uh, you know, SBA... I'm, I'm, optimistic that most of our audience members have heard of the SBA, but the SBA stands for the Small Business Administration. Um, and it is a is a division of the federal government. Um, but there are uh, institutions, lending institutions, uh, private and uh, FDIC backed, which is your traditional banks, um, do have significant SBA products uh, and, and drive that product. Um, uh, SBA products are, are, are very good in the fact that if you're buying your first real estate and you're, lo- you're looking for a lower cash down payment, um, you know, the SBA products can be, you know, uh, the, the most attractive in that aspect because conventional products, which are non-SBA back, can be 20 to 25% down. So if you're looking for a low down payment product, um, yes, I mean, I think uh, just like if you kind of think about the mortgage side, um, now you have uh, in the mortgage side, there's FHA loans, um, FHA loans, you know, which is first time home buyer loans. You know, they tend to be 3% down or 5% down. Um, they're, they're federally insured to allow people to buy their first practice and or buy their first house. My apologies. That same logic goes into the SBA. I think the SBA is set up for small business uh, owners. 
the lending exposure for an SBA 7A transaction is typically be about $5 million. Um, you have different products called the 504 and the 5A or 7A. Um, and, and it's there to get people in business or buy their first real estate, buy their first practice, those kind of things. SBA's, SBA's um, um, is, is not going to be the right solution for you if um, you, know, you have the right cash down payment. Uh, for for a, a few reasons here that I'll try to outline, and there's, you know, we can if you are interested and would like to learn more, you know, send us an email, and we're happy to kind of walk you through through pros and cons of uh, SBA and non-SBA lendings. Uh, so first of all, I want to say SBA overall is a really good product. It's set up for first-time uh, business owners, people buying the first real estate, trying to get a transaction done. Um, exclusive of that. You know the the downsides of the SBA transaction is you're typically paying uh, maybe not now and especially not last year when uh, there's a lot of PPP and federal assistance available. But typically in an SBA loan, there's SBA fees, SBA guarantee fees. Uh, they go in and out of cycle, so it's very important to understand in that conversation if the current SBA fee is waived, which means sometimes. Um, the SBA will cover that fee or not charge that fee, and it's still a government guaranteed transaction. Or if there is an SBA fee outstanding, and if so, what is that fee? Um, in addition to that, uh, you know, typically going to have some kind of if you have, I think, you know, don't quote me on this, ten or fifteen percent outstanding in equity in your personal residence. The, typically, that SBA transaction starts to guarantee your personal residence, uh, or because the SBA uh, SOP is going to look for additional collateral. Uh, since they're typically set up as a no, low, lower down payment um, company. Um, no different than most banks out there, SBAs will typically cross-collateralize. You know, that's pretty standard, so I don't think that's a negative issue. Um, but you know, if, if for the fact that you know, you're set up uh, on a, you have to pay SBA guarantee fees, you um, are typically capped out at you know, a $5 million lending relationship. You know, uh, SBAs typically don't make sense if you have the cash down and you have the equity in the business. There's a lot of um, you know, non-SBA products out there that allow you to leverage the equity in your practice um, to make down payment on a building, allow you to leverage the equity in your practice to deploy for, for growth strategy in the business. So uh, overall, SBA is a really good product. I think it's a really good product for somebody that's looking to do their first practice, first building, um, those kind of things. SBAs, uh, transactions, do not do do not do partnership buy-ins or buyouts. Um, uh, so in case you're trying to use that as a vehicle for a partnership buy-in, we do a lot of associate equity and partnerships. Um, that has to be a conventional product out there for a buy-in uh, uh, structure. So again, SBA is, a, is an answer. Um, I think if you're looking to build a group practice, that's probably not the answer. Uh, but I think SBA is an answer as, if you're an early stage company. Um, you know, trying to buy your, and you don't have a lot of cash liquidity and you're trying to buy an asset. Excellent overview. Really, really de detailed and, and really, really good. I know our audience is going to um, find a, a, a lot of merit in that and probably get them to think uh, differently um, about their, their lending relationships and their growth path. And I think that's really the key thing is that when we talk about executing a growth strategy, to state the obvious your growth strategy isn't worth anything if you don't have the funds to execute on it. And secondarily to that is 
securing the funds from the right lender for the foreseeable future. And being in the, in the right type of a, a loan uh, vehicle, if you will, to facilitate that growth is, uh, is critically important. This is not uh, something you want to constantly have to revisit or go to uh, subordinated debt structures in different banks um, on a one-off just to get deals done. You'd rather have a, a secured borrowing relationship with the right institution and know that you can set it and forget it for the foreseeable future to, and just focus on your growth strategy at hand. So this is a, uh, it's been super good today, uh, DeWalker. Thanks so much for, for joining me. I know our, uh, I know our audience is going to think differently now about real estate and to a degree SBA as well. You've given a, a wealth of information and I really appreciate you being on with me today. All right. Thanks for having me. You bet. You bet. We will uh, segue out for a quick second, and then I will uh, be back shortly with some uh, concluding thoughts and to wrap up the show. Sincere thanks to my partner, DeWalker Sinha, for joining me on the show today. He is always a wealth of information uh, and really gives you some some fantastic perspective. And I know that a, a lot of you um, are, are going to be thinking differently about real estate based on today's episode. Uh, before we wrap things up, um, I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about our Pinnacle event in uh, in Florida coming up March 30th through April 1st. We've gotten a lot of questions around this. Uh, it is our first larger format event. And when we say larger format, probably 50 to 75 people um, we want it still to be intimate and have people ask questions, and the content will be um, pretty varied from a, um, a, a handful of industry experts in addition to us presenting over those two days together. Our, our intent, uh, and based on the theme of the event, the theme is obviously scaling from clinician to CEO, there are a lot of people who are building groups that are transitioning out of the chair into a more formalized leadership role like CEO. And that is a process. Um, we're going to hit a lot of the highlights of that journey, as well as some structural considerations around legal structures, uh, financial reporting and accounting structures, obviously operating structures, and of course, equity structures that support um, that type of a, a transition. And if you are the CEO of the business, you're going to want to be proactive about all of that. And our intent is to provide you um, as you would well imagine, a lot of granular detail around that growth journey. And, and I think there'll be many takeaways from um, those two days together uh, in uh, Fort Lauderdale. So I, I hope you can join us. Um, I can't remember if we mentioned this or not, but we are not taking any sponsorship dollars for this event. Um, the price points to attend are a little bit higher than industry norms, but the content will be pure. The people who are going to be presenting on stage are people we know and trust and we've worked with in terms of the outcomes they deliver for clients. Um, and we know they can haul the mail and we're not asking them to pay to be part of it. So whatever, whatever you get from the stage, from somebody's presentation, will hopefully, hopefully be the best from the brightest not from people who paid us to be there. So we want to keep the education as pure as we possibly can. And that's reflected in the pricing structure. So hopefully you'll consider joining us um, in uh, Fort Lauderdale. I think it's going to be a great time to be in Florida. 
probably end up doing as many as two different cocktail parties out on the beach <laughs> Wednesday and Thursday night and have a little bit of fun as well. I'm looking forward to uh, some warmer weather already, and I feel like it's not too far away. Um, one other thing on a, a completely you know, new, noteworthy, and cool type of a, uh, aspect, um, I found a really neat podcast. Obviously, y'all enjoy this podcast, I hope, and uh, you probably listen to a lot of others. And occasionally I dig into um, the world of tech. Um, it's not necessarily a first love or mine, uh, of mine, but it is something I find fascinating at different times. There is a podcast called Land of the Giants, and it is really well done. These are kind of mini series of six to eight episodes, probably 30 to 45 minutes in length or something like that. And one of the series is on Google that I'm listening to right now. Um, listen to one on Apple. Uh, there's one on uh, um, uh, Facebook and Microsoft, if memory serves me correct. They've done about five or six of the different series. I'm not sure when this thing started, but it's more than just reporting. It's a deeper dive into those businesses. Um, and it's it's been really fascinating. And, and I, for one, have enjoyed it. So I figured out I would share it with y'all. Uh, not that I want you to stop listening to Group Practice Accelerator by any stretch of the imagination, but I thought that uh, for those out there that enjoy the tech side of the world, um, this was a different type of a podcast that I, I really found to be valuable and, and very compelling and very interesting. So hopefully, uh, hopefully you'll find it to be the same um, when you're not listening to Group Practice Accelerator. Well, today was a, a lot of fun. Like I say, I hope you do get a lot out of our our uh, podcasts and our episodes, we get a, a lot of really nice compliments um, from the audience. And, and DeWalker and I sincerely appreciate all the um, uh, words of encouragement that y'all share. I would also encourage you to leave us a rating uh, wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, or wherever else uh, out there. And, and surely leave us a comment. That does help with SEO uh, and a lot of other social media type aspects and, and we certainly appreciate it if you got questions feel free to submit them to me directly and you know i'll read them on the air or at least answer you directly so we appreciate everybody being uh, a listener and a subscriber and look forward to seeing you on the next episode take care